This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Mike Yuseem, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Welcome back to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm Anne Greenhall. I am here with Mike Yuseem and Jeff Klein. And we're delighted to have another guest uh, on deck. And she is Callie Brownson, offensive quality control coach for Dartmouth's football team. She's the first woman to hold a full-time coaching job in Division I football. So it's with great pleasure that we invite Callie onto the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're really, really happy to have you. And uh, I also have to say now, Jeff and Mike know, but Callie, there's no way that you would know, but I'm a longstanding Ivy League football fan. Oh, wow. And, of course, I'm here at Penn. So I always have season tickets to Penn football, and I have to share with Jeff and Mike that Penn suffered a terrible loss to Dartmouth. Against Dartmouth. At Dartmouth. That that is right. We we just could not get it going. (laughs) So congratulations (laughs) on that win, and I know you were a little disappointed at the end of the season, if I'm not mistaken. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Princeton, I believe, took the title outright. Is that right? Yes, they did. They it was, did. It was a close game. It was a heartbreaker. But, yes, um, they're a great football team, great football program. So you know, it, it, and, it was it, yeah, it was upsetting at the end. But um, you know, they they definitely deserve it. And Cali, there's next year. Absolutely, mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely. There sure, is. there sure is. All right, so so Cali, I'm just going to say a little bit about you, but we'll fill in some more you know some more detail. So you were hired by Dartmouth Football after a two-week training camp internship this past summer. So just say a little bit mm-hmm. about, you know, what is a two-week training camp internship, and how did that lead to your uh, hire? Absolutely. So mm-hmm. I had met Coach Stevens at, at a camp in the summer uh, down in Louisiana that the Manning Passing Academy actually sponsored, and it was the first ever camp that that prestigious uh, organization put together for women and girls. And so I was asked to come down and coach it, and that's where I met Coach Tevens. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we had kind of made a connection while we were down there, and, um, you know, I never really thought anything was going to come of that. I just I had, I had heard about him and, and knew who he was and introduced myself and had some conversation with him. And two weeks later, I get a phone call, and um, he's saying, you know, listen, this might sound crazy, but um, how interested would you be in coming up and, and, and interning and kind of basically letting me open the doors so that you can learn as much as you can about a college program uh, during our training camp time, which is about two weeks. And, of course, I was like, wait a second, you know, pinch me, is this real? Um, <laughs> and um, sure enough, yeah, it was. And uh, a couple weeks after that phone call, I came up to, to Hanover, and uh, it was a, it was the two-week training camp, which is when the, when the, the students come back, the student-athletes come back, and it's basically a, a crash course of everything we need to do right before the season starts. And so it's a lot like an NFL training camp in the sense of, um, you know, multiple practices and classroom sessions. And the guys, since they don't have classes, live, eat, breathe, sleep, football nonstop for two weeks. And um, that was when my internship was happening. So it was also a crash course for me as well in the college game and how a college program is run on the ins and outs, operationally, coaching, administratively. And um, Coach Stevens opened all of the doors for every facet and allowed me 
in that two weeks to learn as much as I possibly could, which was phenomenal. Oh, that's great. And now I should also say, warn you that um, I'm very enthusiastic about sports, but I know the least <laughs> here, Jeff and Mike, <laughs> okay. outpass okay. me. You know, do they just outclass me on this? So I'm the one who's going to ask you some seemingly naive, innocent questions. But your position is offensive quality control coach. And just yes. tell me, what does that mean? So I'm basically the support to the entire offensive staff. So, you know, if you look at a game week, we technically have three days of practice that we get actually on the field with the guys, three full days. And that's a short amount of time to prepare for a game, especially when every team that we face is a little bit different. So my job from the time that we get done on Saturday night with our previous game to the time that we start up at practice on Tuesday is to make sure that we have all the information possible on the team we're about to play and how we're going to prepare. So I break down their film weeks prior. So usually I'm two weeks ahead. So uh, when we when we faced Penn, I already had you guys' film <laughs> broken down two weeks before. Um, and all that data and everything is already in and ready. So we know what Penn lines up against what we line up and who their star guys are, what they're doing, what their schematics are. And that's kind of my job is to do all that research. I'm basically a researcher. Yeah. And I'll compile all that information for our position coaches so that they can plan those three days of practice according to what that particular team is going to line up that week. So that's pretty much what my job is. I'm kind of the compiler of information um, so that we can set our guys up for success that week. Very good. Jeff, come join me. So, Callie, one of the things that we, Ann and Mike and I, have uh, the honor of being involved in here is uh, is a leadership academy that we have designed and, and delivered in partnership with our with Grace Calhoun, our athletics director here, uh, as well as many of the coaches, most notably uh, Karen Corbett Brower, who is our women's lacrosse coach. Um, right. and, and so, I, I mean, I would love just to hear from your perspective um I'll kind of start at the you know the the highest level here but you know what role do you think athletics play in you know the the life of a a young person a high school age student a college age student um and, and what what is it about athletics that that draws um so much interest you know both from athletes and fans alike yeah, absolutely. So to, to the first part of your question, I've always thought that sports are, are such a great uh, parallel to life and some of the things that we face in football being one of the big premises of that. It's, one of, in my opinion, one of the most adversity-ridden, simulated games you can, you can participate in. And mm-hmm. There's no doubt that the person who lines up against you at some point in that game is going to cause you to fail, and you've got to find a way to beat them the next play. To me, it's it's just a great kind of simulation of adversity in life. And, and uh, to me, athletes learn a lot about themselves through sports and through competition. Mm-hmm. Um, who are you when you fail? What do you do when you fail? Okay, so you lost this game. What are you going to do for the next game? How are you going to prepare? Are you prepared? Um, so to me, sports are just a great way of reflection and understanding kind of the things that we go through in life every day. And I think it's so important. I encourage, you know, even to the youth level, to get involved in organized sports. It's important. There's so many lessons that the youth can pull from being part of an organized team activity, dealing with authoritative figures as a coach and, and, and trusting the guidance of somebody superior to you, yeah. as well as trusting peers that you may not know 
completely, but by the end of the season, we'll probably be your best friends. Right. Yeah, and so, you know, I think those are really important life lessons that, that, that the youth can pull. And on, on the second part of your question, I think the thing that is so great for us as, as fans and as participants of sport is what it does reveal about ourselves, you know, how into it we get, how passionate we get. I mean, you know, Andy talked about the fact that you're a humongous sportsman. You don't know the logistics, but you get amped up for a football game. <laughs> yeah, right. that's I do. Awesome. Mm, I yeah. mean, that's, that's, that's an incredible uh, you know, fact about us as a society. We can all rally together around mm-hmm. something like that. We can argue on Twitter about politics until the cows come home. But we'll get together and we'll watch a Penn football game. That's awesome. That's yeah. incredible. I think that's really, really cool. And it's something that's, you know, an intricate part of society that, that, is, that is really fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All throughout Philadelphia, people are just closing their eyes and uh, picturing the Super Bowl parade right now. So. <laughs> yeah, so, oh, that's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So my, my second part there, Kelly, would be what, um, what is it about football for you in particular um, that, that drew you to, to coach and invest this kind of time in this sport? I love the game in the sense that I, I feel like I'll never stop learning. I feel like even if I'm coaching at 70 years old, I'll learn something new because the game is ever-evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the cool things is I get to coach with Dave Shula, who, you know, one of the head coach of the Bengals. Yep. He's a prestigious coach name is, is fascinating and you know he's somebody who you would say is, is a professional in the coaching world and he'll tell you straight up I'm learning so much about because he, he, he hadn't coached in 20 years when he took uh, the wide receiver coaching job this spring and he'll say you know the game changed so much around me I'm learning again that's so awesome to me that's incredible um, because this is one of the best hmm. coaches you know in, in, in yeah. football and um, that's incredible to me and as a player what I liked is um, I like the adversity of it. I like that every single week I had to be challenged to a different level, mm-hmm. higher level or just a different level because somebody was going to line up against me and one of us had to win and I wanted it to be me. And I liked that competitive aspect and how much it kind of, it was a drive and, and I enjoyed that drive and I like seeing it in the guys I coach now. It's kind of, you like that. You like that amped up like, oh. That guy shut down everybody last week. Not going to happen this week. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I really do enjoy that. In fact, I should jump in, Callie, and just say that you you yourself have played quite a bit of football, and you have background as a player on the D.C. Divas from 2010 to 2017 in the Women's Football Alliance. So, again, another simple question, but what position did you play? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> so Everything. that that makes um, you like Chuck Bednarik, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> From the Eagles, right. <laughs> right? Exactly. So I started. I guess the short answer to that is I started. Um, I got brought in. I had no idea what I was doing. I was nineteen uh, when I got onto the team, and I tried out because I was in college, and um, you know I wanted to play competitive sports again. I'd always loved football, so I found out about the women's league, and I was like, all right, let me go check this out. I tried out. And I got brought on, actually, to a team that pretty much lost nobody, and they had been to the Super Bowl the year before. So I was kind of like, yeah, we'll fit you in where we can fit you in. And I was a backup quarterback, and towards the end of the season, ended up starting at wide receiver. Next season, um, you know, started at safety and played free safety on defense uh, for a good amount of time. My first bout with Team USA was at a, was at a free safety. And then some injuries happened, and they moved me over uh, to wide receiver. And then before I knew it, I was playing both sides of the ball, as well as returning to escalates from there. Um, and so, you know, that that was pretty cool because for me, 
looking back on it now, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because I got to learn every angle of the game as a player. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really helped me as a coach. And, and it helps you also teach something that I try to really, really put in the guys' heads, the, the players' heads, is if you're a wide receiver, it's really important for you to learn what are the intricacies of being a defensive back? What is that guy's responsibility across the ball from you? Because that'll mm-hmm. make you a better wide receiver because that made me a better wide receiver. And I've been able to kind of relay that to them, and, and that's helped them a lot to understand. And, and I got that from my playing experience. Oh, so good. And let me just also chime in that you are also two-time gold medalist with yes. Team USA Women's Football, so we want to be sure to, mm. to uh, shout that out. Let me also That's remind cool. everyone that you're listening to Leadership in Action on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Channel 132. I'm with Jeff Klein, Mike Useem, and I'm Ann Greenhall, and we have the pre- pleasure here of speaking with Khalid Brownstone, and she is Offensive Quality Control Coach for Dartmouth's college football team. Mike, I think you had a question. Yeah, Kelly. Well, first of all, thanks for joining the show. And I've got a question that really builds on the diversity of your experience. So you were a high school coach. You're now a college coach. And I know you had a summer uh, scouting internship with the New York Jets. So you've seen uh, that. And of course, you played in the Women's Football Alliance. Question is, how coaching is going to be exercised differently in a high school or a mm. college or a professional setting. What are your thoughts on that? You know, it is different. I think the competition levels obviously breed a little bit different of a coaching style. Um, when you get to the, the high school level, and, and I was fortunate enough to work with great head coaches who, who really invested in the guys. The first, um, the first coach that gave me my chance, uh, Coach Barry Wells, he reminds me a lot of like a coach Herman Boone from the, the T.C. William Titans back in the 70s. Mm. He was a real player's coach. He would invest in the guys as students, as young men, and then as athletes. That was his, his, his hierarchy of how he had how he addressed them. And I thought that was extremely, you know, that to me was amazing because at the high school level, that's important. Very few of them are going to move on and play college, college ball. Um, so investing in them as young men and as human beings, it should be step one. You get to the collegiate level, and now you start to have, especially at the Division One level, you start to have the cream of the crop. So you start to have the guys that you know can play football. So you start to focus on them as, you know, forming them into the program that you've created. You recruit them into this program, and this is what you want. So the coaching is you're here for a reason, for a vision, for a goal, and this is what we're moving towards. You get to the professional level, these are these guys' jobs. So the level of expectations is, well, we know why you're here. You need the paycheck. Let's win some football games. And that's also a business, too. So it starts to get a little bit different in the dynamic. I think, if, in my personal opinion, what you see start to dissipate just a little bit, and I can only speak for certain organizations, but is what you start to see is the, the relationship between player and coach starts to dissipate as you move up the scale. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, you know, you're invested in the young man and the young athlete, um, as a high school player, and once you get to the pros, you're kind of like their boss. Yeah. So the dynamic between the two changes a little bit, and I've kind of witnessed that myself. And Kelly, picking up on, on your diverse experiences as well, uh, none of us are born doing something really well that we might be doing now. We, we learned it along the way. And as you right. came up as a player, and now you've been a coach in, in several different settings, 
talk about a couple very formative learning experiences uh, where you kind of got a, a new insight on what you had to bring to the uh, the coaching terrain that you didn't appreciate before. Yeah, I mean, I faced a, a few things. Um, you know, when I started coaching in high school, you know, I, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, the way that kind of came about is I was actually coaching softball at the high school at the time. I ran into the football coach. He, he had found out that I had played. and said, listen, I thought about coaching. No, I don't, I don't know. Not really. Um, and then that came about, and I didn't really know what to expect. And, you know, the 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 biggest kind of thing that changed for me was understanding that I walked into it with the understanding that I had to overly prove myself, when in reality, these guys don't, and, and this has been across mm. the board for me in my entire coaching career, these guys really don't care who you are. They care if you're there for them. They care if you're there to help make them successful. They <laughs> care if you're there to help them win. And um, and, and that's, that's what it's about. Are you invested in them? Are you invested mm. in making them better people, better players? And that, to me, was a huge lesson to learn because I felt the same way as a player. Um, you initially judge a coach by their resume. Players do the same thing as other coaches do. You, you judge them by their resume. What have you, how long have you played? What have you done? And so forth. But, you know, a lot of coaches will tell you I had a coach with a phenomenal resume. I never felt like they invested in me. Uh, I had this and that, and, and, and I never felt like they invested in me or made me better. And the big the big thing that I learned is, is it's about what are you actually bringing to the table for these kids, and, and, and how are you influencing the game for them? How are you changing the game for them? Um, and that was something that I, at first, didn't understand and quickly did learn and it was probably one of my favorite lessons because it resonated with me as well as a player while I was coaching which was kind of a cool experience to have. Kelly, mm-hmm. I've got a quick follow-up on that and I'll pass <laughs> the baton on to my colleagues here. For listeners who appreciate what you've said and my guess is every listener was listening very carefully to your commentary the last few minutes on the implications for them that is we all want to work with people, relate to people, help people get the job done and in the, let's call it the microcosm, that is your direct <laughs> contact with, with mm-hmm. a player, how, how have you found that you effectively can communicate that you're there for them? What, what does that take and how do you do it? A lot of it is, is investing in their individuality. So you don't coach every player the same. You know, just like in, in common interactions we have with people, we don't interact with every person the same way that we interact with, with another person. It's understanding that this is how you perceive a message, and I'm going to deliver the message to you. So we have players who are receptive to harsher commentary that motivates them, not mm. necessarily negative, but you got to get them fired up and amped up. We've got other guys who like to get pulled to the side and talk to, and it's about understanding that. When you can invest in your players enough to understand how they communicate and how they receive communication, it's a game changer for them mm. because – you know, and, and being able to take the time to realize that because they've, they've dealt with all kinds of coaches to this point and all of them have had their own quote-unquote coaching styles. But if your coaching style can be malleable to the player, you will relate to every player you come across. Great points. Great. I was hmm. just going to jump in, hmm. <laughs> Mike, and say your questions were great. Loved your questions. And Callie, I loved your answers. And you covered a lot of ground from being a coach to high school students, college students, and then professional. And uh, what I heard in that, and maybe the workplace 
connection, uh, Callie used the word dissipates, that sense of mission, maybe, common mission might right. get a little bit diffused as we as we go up the ladder. And when it doesn't get diffused, how absolutely remarkable is that? And then just thinking about the experience of, you know, what makes a great coach a great coach? And again, in the workplace, I know, Jeff, you've talked about this when you walk in in exec ed programs. People will listen to us for a couple of minutes based on our title, our credentials. But beyond a couple of minutes, <laughs> poof, it is right. gone. Yeah. You know, you right. have to build your credibility in part by your uh, relationship and the way you conduct yourself with the people that you're speaking with. So your answer uh, reminded me of an interview we had a long time ago, and you can help me with the credentials here, Dr. Jen Welker, who was yeah. one of the uh, first female coaches in the, in the uh, NFL, and yeah. one of the... Uh, things that she was so well known for at the time was leaving little notes in the <laughs> in the cubbies of the players. And it was that, just what you said, Callie, that sort of individual touch, that caring, um, you know, she was invested. She was invested in them, and that uh, that really seemed to resonate. I, so, lo- I love that you just called lockers cubbies. Cubbies. Thanks, Callie. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> I'm the least, uh, I'm the least uh, proficient <laughs> and fluent here. So let me try one more. Mike asked about, you know, going through the ranks and players and coaches. Let me ask about uh, Ivy League coaching as opposed yeah. to coaching uh, elsewhere in the college scene. Yeah, absolutely. So it is a different dynamic. And, and, and where we really see the difference is, is it's kind of interesting to see the recruiting process because, you know, it's, it's different. We can't offer scholarships. Right. You know, we can't do, we can't compete with some schools who are like, let's pay for your education. Right. But what we can do is tell you that your education will eventually pay for itself. And, you know, sometimes that's a tough sell to 17 and 18 year old people. You know, I remember myself as a 17 and 18 year old, and I don't know if you could have pitched that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we find is the people that we do get are incredible. And, and I'm going to say people because I've been able to associate with a lot of the athletes on campus, mm-hmm. the women's field hockey team, the lacrosse team, you know, uh, a lot of them. And, and they all are very similar in the sense that they're obviously intelligent kids. But they understand their purpose and, and, and they're willing to, to find it. And the great thing about that is these are not just phenomenal student-athletes. They're playing Division One football, lacrosse, hockey, baseball, soccer. But, you know, they're going to most definitely, you know, except for a rare few, they will most definitely go professional in something other than sports. Right. And right. they will eventually become the leaders of industry. I mean, these are Ivy League students. They will eventually become the leaders of medicine, the leaders of economics, the leaders of the banking industry, you know, all of these incredible things. And, you know, you're sitting on, I I actually said this to one of our coaches, I was like, you know, it's crazy. We're sitting on this field right now with the future leaders of this country. (laughs) To me, that's such a phenomenal feeling because they're just kids right now having fun and enjoying themselves, playing football and going to college. And so it's kind of a cool culture because, they don't ever feel like the weight is on their shoulders to be the future leaders of America or to do anything like that. They're just student-athletes who are enjoying it. And it's kind of cool to be a part of that with them because this is the time that they get to enjoy. They get to grow as human beings. They get to grow as 
you know, academics, they get to grow as athletes and, you know, you kind of get to be a part of that. And, and from a coaching spectrum, we do, we take the academics very seriously. And, um, you know, uh, one of our games, Harvard, which was homecoming, oh, actually fell, fell during midterms and the guys are tired and so much is happening. But the cool thing was, you know, I, I walked down into the meeting room expecting it to be just like a room full of zombies <laughs> and, they were amped up for practice because they were looking forward to football practice all day. Got my midterms done, couldn't wait to come to practice. And that's a pretty incredible feeling because, you know, that's it's very promising for the fact that, you know, they're, they're inspired, they're motivated. And you, I really think you can only find that kind of student athlete in an Ivy League kind of a situation. Whereas in other situations, I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm this. You know, they came to the school for a purpose and, and, and they're fulfilling it. And I, I really like being a part of that. Callie, um, we were talking about coaching and playing football at various levels. You made a comment that the players basically don't care who you are as as long as you are really invested in them. And I'll admit, when you said that, in my mind I was thinking, so they don't care whether or not you're a woman or a man as long as you're invested in them. And so I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah, you know, I, you know in my experience... Um, I have never, fortunately, uh, you know, received or ever felt any bias uh, about my presence. But I think it is felt sometimes, and and, and a lot of uh, a lot of women have, have talked about being intimidated by by entering the culture. And you know, Coach Stevens and I had a conversation when I took the job about how he was concerned and wanted to invest in changing the fact that women who know football should not feel intimidated to enter that environment and feel like just because they're a woman, their knowledge is not up to the standard and mm-hmm. up to par. And I think that's kind of what happens with the with that intimidation factor is women feel like because there's not many of them involved in football to that degree that maybe they don't know as much as they think they do. Mm-hmm. And that's the common misconception that we try to overcome. Um, and so for me, the reason I say that, I feel – that the players don't really care as long as you know what you're talking about and you're invested in them is that comes off very cleanly to them. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Studies show that people make their minds up about people within what, five seconds? <laughs> yeah, and quickly. A lot of times how you carry yourself onto the field as a coach is a big thing. And to walk onto the field and, and to interact with them, to ask them, you know, one of the cool moments of my time at Dartmouth is the first chance I got to be on the field with them a bunch of them actually came up to me and introduced themselves. Oh, that's so nice. To, to reach out and shake their hand and say, I'm Coach I'm Coach Callie, I'm Coach Callie, I'm Coach Callie, to establish that I'm here, I'm mm. here for you, I'm here for you, I'm here for you, I, that resonates with them. So, you know, I get asked a lot, what, what's, what's, what's your advice and this, that, and the other. And my biggest thing is be confident in who you are. And that's how women can establish that rapport with the players. They want somebody, like I said, who's going to help them be successful, who's going to invest in them, and you have to have the confidence that you're the right person there to do that. Hmm. So good. Are you finding more young women in football, like high school age or younger? Yeah, it's awesome. So since receiving this position, I have gotten a flood of emails and articles sent to me of young girls playing at the youth level, at the high school level. And, I mean, it, it just makes me so happy because, you know, I, I played when I was when I was 10, and then I tried to play again in high school and was told no. So to read the articles about girls not only playing in high school but, you know, starting and contributing, um, you know, girls who are playing quarterback and starting every game and 
it, it, to me, it's very warming um, because it shows me that, that society is changing. And it's so cool because what I've noticed, and, and it came, became kind of an epiphany of mine after I took the position, is the degrees of influence that a decision like that has. So a young girl gets allowed onto the high school team. And not only does she get allowed on the high school team, she's a starting quarterback. Well, she has an entire offensive line is dedicated to protecting her. They have now just changed their entire mind of a woman in a power position. Mm-hmm. Um, the the fan base, every single player on that team, every single player on the team that they defeat when they win a game, you know, it has had this degree of influence and changed a lot of people's minds about a girl playing football and then ultimately women in football and then a coach getting hired, a female coach getting hired. The degrees of influence of that are a lot, like the ripple effect is a lot more massive sometimes than we think, and that to me is 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 the game changer. Mm, great, Jeff. So Kelly, I, I loved your commentary on just creating connection, right? And and both the way that you show up as a coach on the football field, um, you know, w- when you think back uh, across a variety of coaching roles. Or when you think back to your time as a player and, and the kinds of coaches that you were with, what are some you know what are some of the specific strategies that can be used to really accelerate connection between player and coach? Yeah, getting to know them a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, understanding um, what they come from, and you know, it, it goes back to the basics of human connection. You know, my background is most likely different than your background. And and, and I like to use this metaphor. Um, It's building a bridge. So, you know, you are the destination and and I have to establish a connection between us. Do I want to build one of those really sketchy rope bridges in Thailand (laughs) or do I want to build the Golden Gate Bridge? And, And it's totally about the information and the material that I gather to build the bridge. And you can only build a strong structure with, with the material that you gather. Um, you know, I can, I can create that rope bridge by just saying, hey, I'm your coach and here's where you need to go. Right. So just go. Or I can say, I understand, you know, how, like we talked about earlier, how you communicate, how you receive communication. I also understand this is your background and so forth, and I care about that. You know, I understand that, and I'm here for that. And, and also, you know, they, they, they want to feel invested in off the field. And, um, you know, one of my favorite players um, that I got to work with this year, he's a senior, he's graduating, and he came to Dartmouth from Hawaii. And uh, his name is Kamana Hobbs, and he was, he was a walk-on. And he is such a phenomenal person who I got to talk with so much off the field and talk to him about what are your job aspirations? What do you want to do when you grow up? How, what are you doing to do that, you know? And, um, you know, and then meeting his family that flew from Hawaii for the last game was like that kind of cap. And that's what they need. They need people who are not just going to instruct them on the field, but also care a little bit off the field. You know, they, they have a next chapter that they're a little anxious about. Here he's been their coach for four years on the field and instructing them how to be successful on the field and in football and in the classroom. Well, it doesn't, it shouldn't just stop there. So to have that investment as well and that interest and that peak in their future, it also is a great way to make a connection. So, you know, you know, my advice to people and coaches trying to make that connection or anybody in a leadership role is, it's as simple as just care, you Mm -hmm. know, care about the person who is under your leadership, care about the people who are following your lead and, and you will forever you know, have a successful chain about you. And 
Kelly, I, I, I know as I ask you this follow-up question that, that much of what you've just said will will transfer over into this context as well. Um, you know, but I, I think one of the uh, one of the things we all share is w- we all join new teams. Um, we all switch jobs, switch organizations, et cetera. How do you build the same kinds of connections with your fellow coaches as you join a new coaching staff? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's a, a struggle that so many coaches and, and even, you know, people in leadership roles as they change companies. And I actually was weirdly thinking about that the other day. And a friend was talking to me about how his company got bought out. Now he has to establish a new culture and this new company. And it's it's one of those, those things that we deal with. And ultimately, consistently be yourself. Bring mm. the same energy and, 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 and be yourself and invest in those relationships in the same way that you invested in the previous relationships. And, you know, I'm going to eventually walk into a new coaching staff, whatever that may be. And, again, it goes back to the same two things, confidence in your abilities and then caring, just giving a, 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 giving, giving a darn about what the mission is. I'm here to win. I'm here to help this team win. I'm here to do whatever I need to do. Um, and I'm confident in the fact that I'm going to do that. And people tend to to be drawn to that. People tend to be drawn to the confidence and the investment. And um, I think that goes across all industries. Um, you know, the people that you tend to be drawn to the most in whatever you're doing are the ones who you know care about being there every day and are motivated, confident, and driven to be there. And, and those are the, I think that has to translate across the board no matter where you go. Oh, that's great. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and, and slightly playfully, um, <laughs> do you ever opt to build the rope bridge, the sketchy rope bridge? Sometimes it gets hard. I do still deal with 18 to 21-year-old guys. But, right. So sometimes the rope bridge inevitably will build itself. But uh-huh. <laughs> or maybe it's the best no, you'll get for a little while. Right? right? There's no use in double roping it. That's it. There's no <laughs> use. Sometimes you just you try. But you know what? At the end of the day, um, you know that's that's the challenge. And yeah. It's what you insert your energy in. Um, because there are some people who, who want to build the Golden Gate Bridge with you, and some people, because of, of life circumstances and just who they are, are fine with the rope bridge. Right. And and that's that goes into understanding them, you know? That goes into appreciating how they communicate and what they accept and, and how you're going to be willing to communicate, you know, is they want the rope bridge. You the rope bridge, you know? And, <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's hard. Kelly, I'm going to stay on the rope bridge metaphor, but I'm going to absolutely go for t- it. take it. Uh, I guess in the upward direction, that's a bit of a stretch of the metaphor. But uh, people listening to this program, by definition of uh, the uh, the topic of the uh, of the program, is um, interests are around uh, how do we become a more effective leader? How do we jump into leadership that we haven't done before? My question for you directly is as you became a coach for the first time kind of two edges to the question here what what was the most surprising element of what you had to master you didn't see it going in but you once there knew you really had to become a better master of x flip side is what turned out not to be true that you thought was true going in so take either one but what was, what's been your experience as you moved up in the in the in, in the coaching responsibilities um, I would say the thing that I didn't prepare for completely, mm. but had to just learn on the fly was the expect the absolute unexpected. When I say unexpected, I mean mm. like 
could never have absolutely fathomed that would be a task on your to-do list that day. <laughs> um, and and that is the coaching world in, in college football. And and to me, that was the that was the obstacle was. Um, I was used to high school programs and then professional programs and, and high school programs are simple, not necessarily super structured, but structured enough to be so simple that it's not too crazy. Mm-hmm. And they have professional programs where it's like, this is everybody's job. So it's absolutely detailed and structured. And they have college, which is in between, which is um, anything can happen at any moment. And um, that was kind of what I wasn't prepared for, but had to learn quickly in order to survive was just the daily tasks and just everything from, you know, I dealt with the scout team on for, for our offense, putting together the scout defense team, everything from the printer's not working. So we can't print out scout cards in time for practice. So you need to hand draw them. Like, <laughs> just run on the fly. Yeah. And, and, and those are the kinds of things that you're never really prepared for, but eventually you grow into the environment. Um, I would say the thing that surprised me that I was prepared for that didn't end up happening was I was unsure coaching at the Division One level if I was going to get any bounce back from the guys. And it wasn't <laughs> necessarily projecting that they were going to be those kinds of guys um, because I had done a lot of research on the program and knowing Coach Stevens and the kind of player that he recruits and he brings in, I never thought he was going to have those kinds of guys on the team. But you always have the hesitation. This is Division One football. This is, this is a high tier football, and here comes a woman. And at the time, I didn't know there had not been a woman, but I had known that at least there hadn't been enough. <laughs> and these guys had definitely never been coached by a woman, you know. And, and I and I was so taken back in, in a happy way of how receptive they were. And I remember my second day, a bunch of them coming up to me and asking me questions about stuff. And the wide receivers who I was housed with specifically in training camp on my second day asked me to pull a chair to the front of the of the room so that they could ask me questions and they were all curious questions how long did you play that's awesome tell us more about your usa experience like they were so engaged and i i was not prepared for how engaged they were going to be in in me which was a a nice startling surprise a quick final follow-up on uh follow-up on that for me One of the unspoken themes in what you've been saying, of course, is that you are an eager learner, if that's the right phrase. And that is, as yeah. you moved uh, now into college coaching at the level you're at, you came in and you had to learn it a lot and, and you made a point to learn it. Uh, looking ahead, next four or five years, what do you think would be next that would optimize your, your learning of the craft of coaching? Yeah, I get asked a lot. Um, <laughs> Um, for me, um, at least in my near plans, it's to continue my time at Dartmouth. I think um, looking at, at the, the small structure of just one season and what I've learned, if I can multiply that, um, then, then that's what I'm eager to do. I, I think that um, I'm in such a good place. I'm in such a good environment to, to grow and to learn, and I'm surrounded by one of the most incredible staffs. I think in Division One football, if you really look at them piece by piece, I would say they're one of the best and most talented staff. Um, I would, in my mind, and I'll, I'll use just lame in terms of this, I would be dumb to walk out on uh, <laughs> the opportunity that I have to continue to stay with this group and learn, and, and the players. Yeah. Um, you know, to, 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 uh, I think staying in this environment 
and, and, and continuing growth as long as I possibly can is the best move for me, whether that's two years, three years, four years, five years, who knows? Yep. Um, but for me, it's, it's at least two. So, um, and, and that's kind of where my head's at with it. After that, I, I, I who, who knows, you know, who absolutely knows. Oh, so good. Well, Callie, let me tell everyone that you're listening to Leadership in Action. I'm Ann Greenhall. I'm with Mike Yuseem and Jeff Klein, and we're speaking with you, Callie Bronson, offensive quality, offensive, don't get that mm-hmm. pronunciation quite right, offensive quality control coach for Dartmouth football. We kept the pronunciation guide in the cubby. <laughs> in the cubby. Right, Thanks, Jeff. Cubby. <laughs> you know, that's going to be a running joke now. I can just feel it coming. Good. Good. <laughs> and this is Leadership in Action <laughs> on Sirius XM Radio, <laughs> Channel 132. All right, Kali, I'm so glad Mike asked about the future and about learning because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to race right back to the question about of women in football. So you talked about high school and the enormous uh, ripple effects that can happen have. Uh, and I don't know. So just share with me, are there any women playing football at the college level? Uh, to my knowledge, no, there are not. Um, uh, a little while ago, there was a, a woman who was playing at a small D3 school. Um, other than that, I believe there are not women uh, currently at the collegiate level. Could be wrong in that level because there are a lot of smaller schools and so forth that don't maybe publicize that as much. Uh, but to my knowledge, um, other than a couple of years, she was a defensive back. to remember the name of the school, but that was the last known uh, female that that I know that had gotten um, a chance at playing at that level. Well, very good. And now, and I've been really delinquent. But if any listener out there knows of any women playing college football, please call in one eight four four Warden. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. All right, one more future looking question. All right, now I'm gonna I'm gonna be optimistic and think if there are more women at the high school level, then that there will eventually be more women at the college level. Absolutely. Uh, do you see a possibility of having women? We'll go first. More women coaching at the NFL level, and just a you know a playful question: Any women playing at that level? So, to the first question, yes, absolutely. And right now, we have a few women who are coaching or have interned uh, at the NFL level this season. You know, Katie Sowers in San Francisco with the Forty ers Phoebe Schechter is in uh, Buffalo with the Bills. Uh, Stephanie Blachko helps out uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You had a couple uh, women, you know, interning with the Jets this past year. A couple women interning uh, with the Bucks. I mean, it was it was a good year for for women. Uh, we doubled our numbers in internships uh, going into this 2018 season, which is phenomenal. And we're going to triple and quadruple it as we go. And I really do feel like it because the women who are involved right now, in my total confidence are the best possible representatives. Hmm. So your fear is that the wrong person gets put in the wrong place and it ruins, it spoils it for everybody, the bad apple of the bushel. And that's your fear. I don't have that fear with who's involved in the game right now. I think, you know, the Buffalo Bills and the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Tampa Bay Bucks and the San Francisco 49ers are all singing praises of having a woman on staff with them. And that only will echo throughout the league. And then that's exactly our goal here at Dartmouth is, um, you know, it's not about Callie Brownson. It's about who's next. Mm-hmm. It's about how many of them are going to be next year uh, because of what we did at Dartmouth. And, and it was a successful season, and it doesn't matter that there was a female on staff. We had a successful season. There was a coach on staff. 
And, and that's the dialogue we're starting to create is it's a normal dialogue. Okay, she's a woman, whatever, you know, she sits in the meetings, she's, you know, who cares that she's a woman? And we're starting to normalize that dialogue. And, and, and like I said, we have good representation in those positions. Will there be a woman playing in the NFL? The answer to that is, is somebody who played and, and somebody who, who was a representation is, that's not the that's not the goal of women playing professional football. The, the cool thing about us is a lot similar, and I'm going to reference Abby Wombat who, when they kept trying to have a match of the USA women's soccer team versus the USA men's soccer team, mm-hmm. she said, we're not trying to play with the men. Mm-hmm. We just can play soccer really well, and it's worth watching. And that's the goal of women's football is it's not ever about getting to the point where we play with the men on a professional level. It's about playing women's professional football to a level of respect and understanding that women play it, too, at a professional level. Um, so that's that's kind of the goal there. Um, I would love for you to introduce me to a woman who does want to get on the NFL show. I'll <laughs> tell you right now, she, she can sit down and talk to you for a little bit. Uh, you know, as successful as my career was, you do, I don't want to meet Adrian Peterson in the alley. Um, so so you know, and 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 that's that's good. but the, but that's the, and that's the thing, and, and that's an important question, and I'm happy you asked that question. And you said it's a playful question, but it's actually an important question because a lot of people think about that when they hear women's football. Mm-hmm. What's the ultimate goal to play mm-hmm. with men? No, it's not. It's it's to it's to have a female aspect of football that is respectable. Okay, well, all right. I've got I've got one more here. Um, and again, I'm the least knowledgeable, but my casual <laughs> observation is that with rule changes in the NFL, that the game is heightening offense and downplaying defense. And I'm wondering if that makes more room in general for women players. I mean, that's a, that's a great observation to make. Um, but I think at the end of the day, uh, it just—I think it just ultimately comes down to—it's just a different ball game, and it's not that one's greater than the other. It's just that they're different. Um, and um, you know, and I think to your note with with that is is something that I've talked to Coach Stevens about because he's a huge proponent of, of this concussion technology. And, right. You know, a lot of the changes that are happening in the NFL that actually do promote an offensive production and decrease defensive production are just actually for the safety of the game, right? Um, for the players involved. But I, I think even still, I think even with that mm. upward motion of that trend, I think even still, when football would prefer to be its own brand and, and, and its own cycle because it is its own brand. I mean, uh, you know, it, there will, in my mind, it's hard to think of a time where women will get their entire salaries covered by playing football. That'd be an amazing accomplishment to happen. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's that's kind of the cool part of the brand is these are full-time job-working women who then leave work. Some of them take their kids home from school and then go to practice from 7 to 10 and that's kind of the brand, you know, and that's kind of the cool part of women's football and, and part of the entertainment factor of women's football. These are real people that are relatable. Um, and, and so I think that that's, that they're, I think they're different brands and they're different spectrums. All right. Now, last question for me, and then I'll let Mike and Jeff get a word in edgewise if there's still time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Callie, you started playing football at 10. How, mm-hmm. how did that happen? I wanted to play. I was a big fan of football. My dad watched. My dad went to the University of Miami. We watched Miami Hurricanes football growing up, and um, I just I wanted to play. I looked at him one day, and I said, I got to do this. And he was like, oh, God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my dad was my biggest fan, and it was hard for him to say no to me 
in anything that he saw me passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm obviously very blessed to have that as, as a parent, and, and he's, he's kept that pretty consistent throughout my life. And he saw how passionate I was about it, and I think he felt like, you know, he, he was doing me an injustice if he didn't, um, you know, promote and, 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 and appreciate the things that I really felt passionate about. And I'm thankful for that because, you know, playing that year definitely reignited a love in me even at 10. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of how it all started for me. Oh, so good. Mike? Yeah, Kelly, with about two minutes yet to go, just a final question for a listener, man or woman, who would like to go into collegiate football coaching. Looking back on your own pathway, what advice would you have? Stay persistent. It's not it's not easy, man or woman. Um, there's a lot of, of men who get told no to, that, they're, that they don't know enough and so forth. Just stay with it. Um, you'll get you know, that, that door that opens, and, and you have to be the best you to be able to sprint through it when it opens. Football's a tough industry to get into no matter what level you're at. Stay persistent, be confident in your skills, and when that door opens, sprint through it. And um, and then just stay passionate. Remember why you're there. It's a tough gig, a lot of hours, long work, hard work. But remember why you started the whole thing. Stay passionate in it, and, and it'll carry you through. And I promise you it's the most rewarding job that you could ever have. Oh, very good. Well, Callie, uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight on the show. I also want to congratulate you on a really great season, and uh, we look forward to uh, meeting you on the field again uh, next year. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll be up there. Okay, (laughs) we'll welcome you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Callie, thank you. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.